Welcome to Next in Nonprofits. I'm Steve Boland, and I am very pleased to be joined today by Amity Hart, the lead researcher of A Consumer's Guide to Low-Cost Fundraising Software. Amity, thanks so much for taking the time to join me today. And thank you for having me, Steve. Um, I was just so thrilled to see an updated version of this report from our friends at Tech Impact Idealware. Um, there's, uh, this has been done before, but it's been a little while. And I was so glad that you are taking the time to talk a little bit about the process and the product and all of those things. Um, but to give us a little context, can you just talk about uh, um, when you became involved as the lead researcher on this? How did you get connected and what was that process like? Well, I've been working with Idealware on research and reports for about six or seven years now. And I had worked on the previous version of this report, which came out in 2017, as one of the researchers and participated in several of the vendor demos and helped write part of the write-ups. But this time they I guess, promoted me to lead researcher of the report. And I was managing the whole process myself. Well, we are grateful for the work that you have put into it. And, you know, we, on behalf of the, the smaller and mid-range nonprofit sector, um, the report is called A Consumer's Guide to Low-Cost Fundraising Software. But mostly I talk to clients that I work with about that as donor management. Um, a lot of these products that we're talking about are, are more specifically around donors, not like grant management or other sorts of things. They may have that capacity in some way, shape, or form. But um, but I think that that, that lower cost cost entry level thing is what's so uh, exciting for most of us to go, I really want to make the right choice, but I don't have a lot of budget. So um, you, you pick roughly 24 or so um, products to include in this review. I got to think that was the first biggest question, right, is how do you decide which of all of the technologies out there you're going to take the time to put in here because you just can't do them all. That is actually one of the biggest challenges in the report. We actually uh, did change the name of the report this year up until uh, the pre up until this version. It was called the Consumer's Guide to Low Cost Donor Management Systems. Mm -hmm. But we realized that as we were looking into systems, a lot of the systems have been moving. And in many ways, a lot of the ways that nonprofits are using the systems are changing so that it wasn't just donor management systems that we were looking at. We were looking at systems that were called uh, CRM or, or mm -hmm. customer relationship management software. We were looking at fundraising software that provided online fundraising, and we were looking at traditional donor management systems. So in starting the report, we worked with uh, several subject matter experts to look at what the inclusion criteria were gonna be. And after discussions about what was going on in the marketplace and what a lot of people who were working with nonprofits to help them select software uh, were recommending, we came, up, we came down on a set of inclusion criteria that is a slightly higher bar than we've had in previous reports. So. First of all, we realized that they had to be cloud-based systems because as you can see in today's world, there has been uh, not only a shift towards remote work, but a rather um, significant uh, movement towards remote work um, right. and necessity for it. 
Uh, we needed it to be intended for use by small organizations as their only database to manage online and offline fundraising activities, donors and supporters. Uh, a small nonprofit should be able to get it for less than $10,000 a year. So it was a little bit more than we had in previous years, but not a high um, bar. Uh, more than 100 North American-based nonprofit organizations had to be current active users of the system so that we could take out the really niche systems that didn't really um, serve the market that we were looking at. And then finally, there was just some functionality things that we decided the system had to be able to do. So, you know, some of it is very basic, like easily view and update contact information and interactions on the constituent record. Uh, we do ask that it was able to create a variety of online forms. So not just an online donation form or an online contact form, but event forms or questionnaires mm. or... Um, it had to be able to process online payments. And so that could be either a native payment gateway or pre-existing integration with a third party. Uh, it had to be able to create and collect data from uh, email marketing campaigns. And again, that can be either done natively or by uh, pre-existing integration. Uh, it has to manage and report on both online, online and direct mail fundraising campaigns, uh, track fundraising metrics on the dashboard, and export transaction data in a format compatible with accounting software. So it's a lot of hurdles to cross. Right. <laughs> so um, we took the report that we had done previously and put all the systems on there and took a look at which ones um, weren't in existence anymore because there were some mergers and acquisitions going on. Um, and then we also, went out and did as much as we could for to find every system on the market that could conceivably qualify. Um, our end result was that we had a list of 47 systems that were potential fits. So we asked the vendors to fill out a preliminary survey about their systems. Um, we asked them their pricing, the number of clients, um, the key features that were related to our gating criteria. And 33 vendors responded. Uh, 23 of the systems uh, met our criteria from those 33. Okay. Well, that is uh, a lot of work before you even start the uh, substantial amount of digging in <laughs> that you talk about in, in different ways in the report. Um, so there's a lot of human power going into understanding all of this so that it's easier for some of us that don't have all of that research skill and time to put in to, to make some decisions, um, but it still needs to get paid for some way. And I, I did um, mention ahead of recording that I wanted to make sure we understood there are some paid ads from some of these vendors in the report to to help offset this cost. Um, but there's also some language in there about kind of a uh, an internal firewall of um, how are we going to solicit financial support to pay for the uh, thing without it feeling like it might impact the editorial output of the project. So um, how did the conversations go to, to make sure that people felt really comfortable about that part of it? Well, the way we did it was at the very beginning, we said, um, these are the people on staff who are going to be working on the fundraising side of the report. And these are the editorial staff. And you're not going to talk to each other until the report's done. Oh, at all. <laughs> at all. I oh, mean, well, there you go. <laughs> it was, uh, there is a very strict firewall on that. Um, I mean, obviously, uh, you know, the editorial side does need to talk in some ways with it in staff meetings and things like that, but they just did not talk about the report 
um, so that we didn't have any seepage from one to the other. Okay. Well, I mean, that's certainly a, a clear-cut thing. Does that mean it might have been, I didn't actually look at this for, for this in the report. I've, I've seen there are some ads in there and I read the information, but I didn't think, are there people advertising in the report that aren't covered in it? Um, or um, did that just not end up that way? <laughs> I, I have to say, I actually do not know the answer oh. to that because I did not look at the ads. <laughs> Well, I, I mean, they're they're there and they're fine, and it's not anything that those of us that have been around haven't seen before. And I I personally don't find it distracting. It's not in the middle of the content area. They're kind of around the edges, and it's fine. But I do think it's important to always recognize, uh, you know, somebody has to help pay the bills here to spend all of this time, so that those of us who just want to look at the results. Um, can dig in with our personal criteria of what's important to us out of all those things you just mentioned and kind of start looking at it. Uh, so one of the questions I wanted to ask you is you do uh, a pricing chart as much as you can. Um, and I think this is one of the biggest challenges for people using uh, fundraising software uh, is if you go to individual websites, it's often, hey, contact a sales rep. And you're like, no, I, I want to know if I'm even in the ballpark before I contact a sales rep. Can I just give me some sense? Like, ah, just contact. And like, ah, and you move on to the next one. And it's, ah, contact a sales rep. You actually have got some pretty useful information about the dollar costs based on sort of numbers of records and users uh, to give people some context. It's of course not perfect. You know, your mileage may vary depending on what you need to do. Um, but I, I think that part of what you've done alone uh, is going to save so many hours in the nonprofit sector in general. Um, did, did you find that harder to suss out? Was that in the survey results right away and people were pretty upfront about it? How did you find getting just that basic part of the information? Well, I think that doing the pricing is always one of the more challenging aspects of doing the consumer's guide because one of the issues is that pricing models vary from system to system. So how do you know that you're comparing apples to apples mm -hmm. to use a cliche? So what we did for this one is we asked the vendors specifically to say, okay, how much would it cost for a thousand contacts and three users and how much would it cost for 20,000 contacts and 10 users? It was a little bit easier this time because the systems were all cloud-based and most cloud-based are, are priced based on the number of contact records in the system. Uh, so we didn't really have some of the issues that we've had previously where some of the systems were installed so they were purchased rather than right. a yearly fee. Um, and then some of the systems just prefer not to answer the questions. So we put in an NA or, or uh, ask the vendor for custom pricing if we had to, but most of the vendors were very cooperative. The other thing is that we had to make sure that the pricing we were getting was for the, the functionality that we were actually talking about in the report because a lot of systems are modular. Yeah. And so we need to make sure that the pricing included online forms and the pricing included all of the things that we said we're going to do. And then we had to make very sure when we were writing up the systems that if there was something that we said in the write-up a system did that was an add-on that we identified that was an additional cost. 
Yeah, and I think um, in the pricing grid itself, which is one part of one page of one of this very um, substantial report, uh, there, there's a little recognition of that. Even with you know one of the systems that you looked at is uh, Neon CRM, and it's the one that's the most variable of the thousand contacts three users versus twenty thousand contacts ten users. And I think assume because it is that modular build, as I understand it, um, and you just can't say you know I'm I'm if I want to do this. So that one actually has a little bit of a range in pricing versus the others that are a little bit more expect this middle number. Yeah. And I think that that's correct. I, yeah. A number of the, I, and I have to say that unlike a lot of other software donor, the donor management systems that we had were a bit more transparent about pricing on their websites than I've seen in, um, for example, we just previously did a report on grants management systems that I worked on. And I got more information from the donor management system websites than I did from the grants management system websites. So I was pleasantly surprised by that. Yeah. And then I think it's important, and you mentioned this in the report, to acknowledge that this is just the cost to the vendor. Um, this is not the cost that you, your staff, um, may need to put into making this system work for you. Uh, and there's a couple of examples here, um, Civi CRM, the um, Salesforce, for example, um, where you're not paying a license fee uh, to use the tool at the intro levels anyway. Um, and, uh, you know, that, that sounds remarkably attractive until you realize, well, probably we're really going to need to pay for some help. And you mentioned specifically in the report that uh, a lot of that can be a pretty high first year cost. So it may have a trail. Uh, of you know less cost in outer years, but some of those systems where you're not actually paying money to the vendor, probably there's going to be an investment. It just may not be directly to the software license creator. Um, so you know again, your mileage may vary. Kind of warning on those things, right? Yes. When we actually, I tried to put in uh, what we could expect to pay for implementation costs where the vendors were able to provide it. But you're right about CVCRM and Salesforce. They are, as they say, free like puppies, not free like beer. <laughs> right. Um, and so not only do you have to pay the implementation fees to uh, set up the system, but there's also costs really throughout the life cycle. If you want to make any changes, if you want to do any additional development, um, especially because both of those are very modular systems. And so you may be adding things on and uh, expanding the capability. And with Salesforce, a lot of the apps on the app exchange, if you want to expand it even more, are also also come with the cost. Right. And I think that's important to recognize is uh, those, those, tools can be immensely powerful and it can be a little um, challenging for that more mid-sized nonprofit, that smaller organization to come in and go, well, we, you know, we can just use the off the shelf and we don't really have to, well, probably not. Um, so I think it's good to have that caution, have people talk to other folks that have implemented those systems in their community. I mean, there are, I've, I've done uh, Dreamforce and I've been, uh, I've uh, talked with folks that have implemented these things. They're very friendly people. They will tell you what's going on. Um, so I, I do think that if you're really attracted by that, it's important stated in this report, um, you know, do, do more research. Don't just go, wow, this is fantastic. We get this enterprise tool for 
um, essentially no money for those 10 users. Um, but important to, to weigh that against, all right, now what are we going to put our staff time into? Because as you look at some of these other choices, now it's a question, as you mentioned, of all the other functionality that is working in these other things already. And that's going to take staff time to implement those things. They don't just happen because you have tools ready in cloud software that do those things. So, um, there's a couple of different things I want to ask you about decisions uh, in the report. For example, you did a uh, um, recommendations by use case thing to kind of help guide people to go, if you need something to do this, you may want to consider these systems. Um, and I found that very helpful um, myself. And I'm wondering, you know, what what input went into deciding how to craft sample use cases for people to consider? Uh, that is a very good question. I think uh, a lot of the input that came into it was in talking with, uh, again, the subject matter experts and also people who work with nonprofits um, and work at nonprofits is what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. um, we had gotten some feedback previously uh, from previous versions of the report that the way people really did use the report that we had is the use case was the first thing that they would flip to. And they would use that to narrow down the list of systems that are in the report. And so we, because we didn't want to say that there is any best system, because there is no best system. There's only the system that best fits your needs, right. that instead of trying to put some kind of uh, rating system or ranking or anything, we would instead look at the ways in which nonprofits actually need to work with their databases in terms of the activities that they do and turn those into use cases and use those use cases to determine which systems get the extended profiles. Well, and let's talk about the extended profiles because those are uh, all of these 23 um, organizations get, get some um, level of, of depth of, of review and, and pointers and, and not by review like this is bad, this is good, but to, to your point, uh, here's the cases where this works better and here are the areas where this might be more challenging, not, you know, um, it, it, people don't get an ABC. They, they get kind of ranked by functionality across these categories. And I think that that's an important distinction. Um, but not everybody got the more extended uh, uh, profile in there. I don't think anyway, um, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, I know you? you are correct. We okay. only did 12 extended profiles because one of the, I mean, there are a lot of reasons, but one of the reasons is that each of, for the extended profile, we did 90 minute demos of each system. So you figure 12 times 90 minutes on demos alone, plus then the write-ups afterwards wow. is yeah. a lot of time. But, and that's on top of the 30 minute demos that we did with all 23 of the systems that were in the report. Um, so we had to find some way to reduce the number of um, systems that we did the extended profile for just so that we could get the report out <laughs> period, <laughs> um, and not kill anybody doing it. So it was a really tough call to make. They, you know, all of the systems in the report are good. I would have no hesitance in recommending any of them to a nonprofit where it fits their needs. Um, and so, you know, we got a lot of, well, why didn't this system get an extended profile? It's like, well, because we just didn't have the time or capacity to do every single system. So, 
Well, I'm again grateful for the sort of standard enhanced advanced um, grids that are available on a lot of specific functionality that organizations may be looking for. Um, and I think it's important for folks that maybe haven't uh, used anything more than one system or maybe never a cloud-based system uh, to recognize there's things that many of these systems do that maybe you didn't ever think to do. <laughs> but now that you understand it as an integrated part of what's available to you anyway, um, you know, you, you may want to kind of flow in there. Um, I'm trying to recall and, and help me if it's in here. Do you do things that are a little bit outside those individual donors like grants management as a functionality in these? Or are we really kind of focused on tracking individuals? No, we actually do have, uh, so the the bulk of what we have, um, we, we did a very long <laughs> set of uh, functionality and we divided it into 10 types of functionality. So donation management and constituent management by far have the most um, functions in there and you'll see them listed um, on the charts yeah. that we have. But if you go into prospecting and proposals, uh, oh, yeah. we do have grant and proposal management under there. Um, under other interactions, we have events, we have volunteer management, we have membership, and we have peer-to-peer -peer fundraising. So it does go to really the extended functionality of a system. Good. I would think that that's important, again, to think if you're coming in here with a relatively small investment, maybe it's okay to do just the one or two core things that you want. But as you point out, I think the assumption here is that this is going to be the primary um, database for many of the um, organizations that are seeking this kind of help, right? I mean, if they're looking at running three and four different systems that all have to integrate somehow, they're, they're probably not looking at this lower cost system. Is that the assumption going in? That's correct. And a lot of the systems, um, they do the, and you'll see little asterisks, asterisks in the report that says, you know, it does it by an integration. So a lot of the systems may not do it natively, but they may have pre-built integrations to third-party solutions that actually do the extended functionality. And just a word about standard, enhanced, and advanced, um, those words or these categories actually refer to the frequency with which we see these um, these types of functions in the systems themselves. Um, so standard are, are elements that are found in just about every system. Enhanced are found in a number of systems, but that's in fewer than in standard. And then mm -hmm. advanced are only found in a few systems that uh, tend to be at times higher priced. <laughs> Well, I know it's actually interesting if you are really only looking at the cost, uh, which I'm sure is where many people start, right? <laughs> it's, uh, this, this is the challenge within our sector just constantly that, uh, um, you know, if it comes down to paying, you know, $1,000 a year for a system versus $5,000 a year for a system, I will definitely put $30,000 with the staff time into getting that $1,000 system to work, right? Um, the, there is not a way... Uh, I think that people can get over the fact that um, what you're buying with a slightly um, larger investment might be a lot less staff time uh, to actually manage whatever the process is that you need to do. Uh, but I, I think that that getting people to say, yes, I want to start with that comparison chart of some pricing to give me some 
places to begin. Um, but to have people hopefully understand in this work um, that you're going to have to really think about all of those, you know, that that doesn't even in the um, standard doesn't come with that thing. And if you want to work around that, you might be able to work around that. But boy, is that going to cost you uh, more in staff time or volunteer time or management or whatever else it's going to be. And maybe spending the extra thousand dollars or a few hundred dollars or whatever the difference might be could be worth it. Um, I don't think that you try to get that granular though in the report as I read it, because there's it's just too much. Is that fair? Or you, you feel like that caution is there? Well, I think it really, I, so yes, I think that that is something that nonprofits need to be aware of when they are looking at the systems is the cost of the system themselves, uh, as opposed to what it's going to cost to make it work the way they need it to work. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that um, we really want people to do um, is also to think about the ways, the people that are using the system and how usable the system is for the really range of technical comfort that people have. Right. Um, so I think that we focus, because it is harder for, for, you know, me as a researcher to assess the cost of setting it up for, you know, for nonprofits, because it varies so much from, uh, individual organization, individual organization. So that's why we focus a little bit more on usability and on how, you know, certain things are more, um, are, 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 you know, are easier to use for non-technical people or have integrated help on specific pages and similar things like that. Yeah. Uh, and that's such an important piece that, uh, um, you know, every individual charity just has to understand where they're coming from there. Um, uh, I've used several of these systems, uh, probably mostly Little Green Light, because it is one of the least expensive things to roll out with, and smaller organizations will often start with that. I feel great about the um, ability to go into their help section and find what I need, but I also find myself fairly technically sufficient, right? So it's like, how do you feel about your ability to dive into somebody else's help screen and find what you need? And, you know, those kinds of questions, uh, does this work? Does that work? So um, I think that um, knowing that ahead of time is, is an important caveat for everybody to really understand yourselves going in. But when you do that, how do you um, envision getting this word out to um, folks that are considering either moving to a cloud-based system for the very first time? And there are still lots and lots of charities out there that are struggling with uh, mishmashes of different things that are, you know, it's an Excel spreadsheet over here. It's integrated into this Giving Day platform over there. It's, you know, um, whatever that might be. Um, or, or they've started with one, but maybe they're ready for something a little bit more um, meaningful. How do they find this report other than, you know, they listen to this podcast and they heard about it and they just jumped in. I, I mean, Ideal Wear is, um, you know, well-regarded in the sector. You've got a great partner here that you're working with, um, but how do they help get the word out that um, this, this new tool is available for them to take a fresh look at what's going on in these systems? That is uh, always a good challenge. So we, you know, we've done our own marketing. Um, and again, I, I'm, I've only been the one speaking during the marketing. So I have, I, I don't really have a lot of insight into the tech impact marketing plan for this, but we've 
had a webinar, uh, which was an introduction to the report and Tech Impact's been doing a series of free webinars that uh, have gone through um, how to choose a system and mm. how to implement the system. And um, the they did many demos of the 12 extended profile systems that are in the report. Um, these have been going on throughout the month of October. Um, so there is, you know, the internal marketing, but that's, you know, our own list. I know that there has been um, some blog posts on the TechSoup website and, you know, TechSoup okay. is just so widely read right. and we do love it when our, you know, our marketing partners are able to put out word about the report on social media or send things out in their newsletters or their emails to their own um, constituency. But in the end, you know, we just have a limitation on how much we can reach out to people. And so I, you know, that's why I, I talk on, uh, webinars and podcasts so that we can get the word out some more and hopefully help some more nonprofits make the selections. Right. And I have a previous podcast with uh, Tech Impact more around some other products that they offer. So that's out there. Um, I guess I should say in full disclosure, I was hired to do a little bit of work on one of their other webinar products myself. Um, but um, all of those things, I think, are, are important ways of spreading the word. But I hope, of course, our, our fellows out there that do have to learn one or two of these systems and and learn something from this report will take the time to share that with their colleagues uh, others especially you know we're recording this in um you know october of 2020 when in month 942 of this pandemic or however long it's been now um i know we're all feeling a little isolated from one another and we don't go to the same conferences that we used to in person and do these things so i think it really is helpful for us all to reach out to colleagues in different organizations and different spaces and talk about, hey, there's this great new report. Here's some things I found really interesting that I didn't know about, you know, in pricing or features or whatever. Do you guys use that platform? Have you heard about it? You know, those kinds of, of great questions, I think, can, can really help. Um, so as people read through this, um, schedule their own demos, uh, uh, work with vendors to consider what, what's the next right step for them. Uh, um, I, I realize this is just out, uh, you know, published in September. It's fairly new. Um, but is there already a conversation about what's a life cycle of this kind of research um, when these features can change? Because as you mentioned, these are cloud-based subscriptions. Uh, nobody has to wait for the next software version to be sold in order to get uh, an upgrade to a new functionality or a new thing. Um, do you expect to be at this again in some period of time or is that conversation for another day? Well, I, in general, this is the fifth edition of the report. So in general, it's been about two to three years between yep. each edition of the report. And frankly, you know, that is a long time in software development lifecycle. We, you know, there were a lot of vendors when I was talking to them and would ask them if their system did X, Y, or Z. And they said, no, that's, but that's on our roadmap for 2020. It's, they right. said, that's great. <laughs> By the time you get this thing ready, it will be I'm like, <laughs> no, that doesn't help me now. <laughs> yeah. So I said, you know, unfortunately we can only write about the things that you can show me, but I, you know, I'm glad to say, occasionally I'll say that the vendor has reported that it's on the roadmap or the vendor has reported that it is is coming down the pike. But um, also, you know, 
I've been involved in software development before, and I've been involved in nonprofits for many, many years. And I know that schedules can change and circumstances right. can change. And really, even the the things that vendors had on their roadmap for this year are already being rearranged because all of a sudden, you know, they don't really need in-person events for galas. They need right. to integrate with Zoom so that they can do virtual events. And, you know, those technologies are changing so rapidly. You know, now this registration system that's now available through Zoom is what, you know, six months ago or, well, six months, yeah, I guess six months ago was, was not that large a player um, in what most nonprofits did. You know, maybe there were some people using it, but um, but the, the speed and scope at which it has become integrated into fund development work, especially, and program development, I think, and program execution work is just astounding. And they're doing all of this well. Now we're going to fix security. Now we're going to add this, this registration capability to manage it for you. And you're like, well, does that integrate with my donor relationship management software? <laughs> how do we know how to get that back out? I really appreciate the, the attention to detail here of, can we get our information back out of a system that doesn't serve us very well anymore in easy ways? Um, I mean, almost all of these have got some way of exporting something, um, but, you know, is it relatively easy to bring into a new thing? I think is a critical decision when things are changing so rapidly in those external tools. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if some of your folks come out and start saying, well, yeah, we're going to start adding video conferencing natively into what we do. Uh, I mean, there, I, I imagine that might end up being a 2021 product for some of these folks, but hard to know. Do you, do you get after the fact calls from people going, Hey, <laughs> we, we know this is a thing we're going to do it. We're doing something about it. Uh, well, what we've done, what we did with the last edition is that we did vendor supplements. Um, so every, Oh, I don't know, uh, four months or so we would send, uh, questionnaires out to the vendors to say, you know, have you done, have you released any new features that are related to what we have in the um, report? But we found that it was uh, challenging to get the information, first of all, because a lot of the stuff that we ask of the vendors, and we are so grateful that they cooperate with us, uh, takes a lot of time and effort um, that it was difficult to get the information and the we just weren't getting the same circulation of the supplements that we got on the report itself. So I think that um, there was just a, a decision on this one that we were going to take the extra time and effort that went into the supplements and actually for the first time create an interactive website with the report information that includes um, tables that can be uh, that can be expanded and contracted with expanded information and details and um, also allow you to sort and filter the systems that are in the report as well. Um, I'm embarrassed to say I didn't, I, I went right for the PDF. It's just like, this is what I know. So, it's habit. Um, <laughs> right. I, I'm, I'm excited to hear about this though. So how does one get access to being able to use that? And is that, you know, once you've done a, a few sorts and clicks, is that shareable to, you know, my fundraising development team is going to want to see this. Uh, can, can they kind of see what you've sorted or do they have to resort themselves? No, we actually, they all have um, an export and a PDF or print oh, great. Um, ability. So um, it's on the guides.techimpact.org and okay. it's slash donor dash management dash systems. 
Um, if you do have, it's actually where you can go to download the report itself. We do have the PDF download, but we also have across the top the entire report text. So you can just get to the section that you want to take a look at. We have the comparison charts and we have the system profiles. Well, that's fantastic. I, I'm excited to be able to use it that way too. That's that's really wonderful. Uh, so if you have advice for uh, um, organizations that are really trying to figure out the, the fully online world now that maybe, you know, still had been doing uh, a lot of earned revenue and not as much donated revenue, but the world is changing and they're trying to get into it and they feel a little late to the game. Um, are there any particular things that you would emphasize from spending this much time with the data uh, for a charity to consider as they start thinking about using some of these tools? Well, um, one of the other hats that I wear is I am actually a consultant to nonprofits and I work with them. Uh, I have worked with them in the past on software selection. So oh. I think that number one, uh, the important thing to look at is what is it that you do with your data now and where do you want to be in two years from now? So if you say, right. you know, we have raised... $30,000 um, in, you know, fiscal year 2019. And in 2022, we want to raise that up to $100,000. You say, are we going to raise it from individuals? Are we going to, you know, who are we going to raise it from? What information do we need in order to be able to raise it? And how do those systems, you know, collect that information and allow us to use it? Um, so, you know, issue number one is, figure out what is it that you need the systems to do to get you to your organizational goals. And secondly, um, is to talk to other people at other similar nonprofits, because a lot of them have gone through the process. Um, and you'll get, you know, some horror stories out of it, but you'll get a lot of valuable information about what they've looked at and how they thought about this and how they went through the process. Um, the other thing is to make sure that you have um, a buy-in from not only your executive sponsor, so the top level of the organization, although you know at many of the nonprofits that are getting started, the organization's usually like three people. Right. Um, the but also anybody who's going to be using the system. So for example, if you have volunteers who use the system to uh, enter information um, or you want them to use the system to uh, send out emails to people when, for example, for Giving Tuesday, then make sure that they're you know, in the process of looking at the systems. They're in the process of talking about what you need. Um, and then in the process of, um, you know, when you're setting it up to make sure that you set it up so that it's can be used in an understandable way by anybody who's using the system. Right. And I think it's important to ask, as people think about where do you want to be in a few years, um, that um, these systems are capable of um, that, that kind of prospecting funnel sort of thing, not just managing people who have actually given a dollar. 
Um, and I think that that's, as you look at the number of records you might be working with and whatnot, you may need to be in communication with a wider range of people towards the idea of getting that um, contribution uh, when they actually become a donor. But, you know, there's still a record in that system while you're working towards that to see if they're going to become that person. And that's part of, you know, the growth plan, right, is how many people do we need to talk to to get to that um, new improved level of support that we're looking for. Uh, and, you know, a bunch of people that you may want to um, reach out and kind of track in these systems, you know, might not be donors for a little while. So don't think to yourself that, you know, oh, those records are only donors. It's like, well, it's records, not people that have given money. Absolutely. And also thinking about the people who are affiliated with your organization who aren't donors yet. Right. Um, you know, you're thinking about people who have volunteered or people, you know, for example, if you work for a, a shelter, an animal welfare organization, somebody who has adopted um, an animal but has not yet donated, are they going to support you know, they, they can definitely be counted on to support you in the future. Um, so it's just a matter of making sure that you understand who all the audiences are who might eventually someday be willing to provide financial support for your right. organization. Right. If, if you invite them, if you ask them in, but that means you need to be talking to them. So your system has got to know how to talk to people that maybe aren't yet donors. So to your point, at the very beginning of the conversation about reaching out to um, people that um, this will be kind of your um, organizational database uh, that I think, you know, a lot of people think, you know, program is separate from fundraising and, and maybe those really shouldn't be as separate as some folks are considering. There could, of course, be all sorts of rules and regs about that. I think the last podcast in the feed is about the HIPAA recording for healthcare-based organizations, and you've got a whole different series of who can be contacted about what with what permissions. All of those things aside, just be ready to think, yeah, if we're going to grow um, this work, we, we need to be able to talk to more people than just the number that are you know, immediately donors or folks that are, are very likely donors. You may need to give yourself some runway to build relationships with those people. And boy, the tools in some of these systems to be able to help do that are just really impressive and, and very exciting, I think, for communication staff to work with development staff, to work with program staff, to say, you know, if, if we ask those people to come to the table as a community champion. Some of them may become donors. Some of them may become volunteers. Some of them may just be social amplifiers, um, but we should know who all of them are and these systems make that possible. So uh, on behalf of a grateful nonprofit sector, uh, thank you for helping sort all of this information. <laughs> Uh, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I, we, we do need to get ready to wrap up here. Are there any final thoughts that you'd like to add before we need to come to a close today? I just, what I would say is uh, a couple of other things that we didn't talk about that I think are important for people to think about, especially today. Um, first of all and foremost is the issue of security right. it is um this data is very sensitive data and it is uh in many cases uh you know prime targets for hackers so when you are looking at systems make sure that you talk to them about how they secure their database and make sure that you're comfortable with the way that they handle um, such things as encryption, such things as controlling logins and passwords and other things that can um, provide backdoor access to the system. So security is a big issue to take a look at. 
Um, and then the other thing, as I said before, is, you know, talk to people, talk to people um, at the vendors. They are always willing to talk to you, talk to other people at nonprofits, talk to people who host podcasts about nonprofit software. Um, because I think that there are so many people who have gone through this process and that have so much um, wealth of information just waiting to to be tapped um, and are, you know, would be willing to help um, provide this. And then finally, you know, and I'm not saying this for myself, but for the others out there, if you have the budget, you should consider um, whether or not it's worth it to you to hire a software selection consultant, um, because there are a number of people out there whose job it is to go into nonprofits and associations who have worked for many years in fundraising and in technology and help you, you know, go through the process of figuring out what it is that you need your system to do and then guide you through the process of choosing the system that best meets those needs. Super strong advice. And honestly, uh, you know, in many cases, not as expensive as you may fear. So talk to some people. Um, there are lots of ways to find those folks. Uh, here in Minnesota, we have a, a state association that has a vendor directory, so you can find somebody local. Um, local is, of course, a relative term in the pandemic years, because you're probably still going to be meeting online anyway. So, you know, <laughs> um, a great idea, though, to uh, get the expertise on your side for your particular use case, because as you said earlier, um, that each one of these systems fits, you know, one type of organization really, really well. And it really is about your needs and who you are. So finding that answer, this is a great tool to help us get there. So uh, Amity Hart is the uh, lead researcher of a consumer's guide to low cost fundraising software from Tech Impact. We'll have the link in the show notes to take a look at the online version and the PDF if you want to download it. Amity, thanks so much for taking the time. Thank you for having me, Steve. <laughs> 